Welcome to Younger Older. I'm Dave Wager, your host, coming to you from the studios of Relate365.com. And today I'm with a good friend of mine, an old roommate from college, and we are still doing Younger Older. He's a little younger, but but not that much. And we go way back. Um, his name, Tim Durkee, actually Dr. Tim Durkee. And what kind of doctor are you, Tim? I'm an obstetrician-gynecologist. And do you have just a regular practice, or do you? Do you I, I think you do something at the university, too. Do you teach yeah, I, uh, I'm on faculty at uh, University of Illinois, the College of Medicine, and we have a regional campus in Rockford that I work at. Okay. And, uh, yeah. I'm, so you work with uh, young, aspiring doctors. That's correct, yeah. And then, yeah. obviously, you have a patient load, so you work mm-hmm. with a, a lot of young ladies yeah. Older, late, wh- whoever. I mean, yeah. your, your practice takes care, patients, yeah. Yeah, it takes care of people. Um, now, it, when you look at this young generation of doctors coming up, are you excited about them? Are you concerned about them? What, what goes through your head when you look at the next generation of doctors? And, and I say this with this context. I'm, as an older guy, and I think we've talked about this you know, from my perspective, all the doctors I really liked in life have retired. <laughs> You know what I mean? They they don't want to put up with something, and I'm not sure everything that they don't want to put up with. You know, I haven't, I haven't retired yet, so what are you trying to I say? I know. <laughs> well, you're not my doctor. <laughs> I have no need of your services. Uh, but I'm wondering, what, what is the, the, the young people coming through medical school? How are they thinking? What is? Do you have hope for the future with these doctors? Are you scared? Are you... Um, you know, what are you thinking as you look at this group? Well, you know, they're a different, they're a different style of learner. Um, they... They tend not to take criticism uh, well to some extent. Um, you, when we correct them, sometimes if we show a little bit of, you know, frustration or you know even anger, uh, it's not taken very well by students. You know, some of them. You know, others. You know, don't. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to overgeneralize, but but we're finding. That um, you know, students are a, f- a little bit more sensitive than they are uh, and have been in the past, and uh, you know, sometimes I see that in uh, how they evaluate the course and, and things like that. They, now I'm wondering though. I mean, if if there's a doctor and he's learning, I really want him to know his stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're a doctor, you're going to operate on my knee or whatever doctor you are. I want you to know this stuff. I don't want you to have gone through a school where you've been pampered. And basically patted on the head and said, "Oh yeah, that's good enough." I mean, do you, can you still teach like you should? Yeah, I mean, we we have to, and you know, it somewhat you have to adapt to the learner, otherwise you're not effective. But um, yeah, you know, it it's it is it is a different learner, it's a different style learner. Where where um, you know, I was treated somewhat harshly uh, during my medical school and residency, and expectations were basically excellence or perfection and you know nothing less um and you would show you were shown that i mean if you if you didn't if you didn't do something right you really knew you didn't do something right and we're not necessarily afforded that element at that level of um you know if you want to say displayed frustration with a medical student sure i i i remember I thought this was fascinating. I, I, I was dealing with uh, a resident physician some time ago, and um, 
the resident made uh, a, a pretty serious error in judgment. And um, I let him know that, and I was pretty firm. I, you know, I didn't call him names, and I didn't, do, you know, I didn't do any of that stuff. But I was pretty firm with him. Mm-hmm. But a student who witnessed it filed some. That wasn't really a complaint, but she made note of it on the course evaluation, and I was fascinated by that. It had nothing to do with the student, but the student felt compelled that she needed to correct me, and. Um, you know, you want to, you know, you want to reach back and not be, I'm not, I've been doing this a long time, so it's not like I'm going to be retributive to the student and, and get my, you know, get my right. pound of flesh. But I want to go back and talk to the student and say, you know, what if that patient was someone you really cared about? Right. And, and, and how would you respond? And because that's how, if, if, if you have trouble with criticism from, you know, a faculty member, and and being a faculty member being direct or showing frustration or 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 such you know what would it be if uh, you ran into a patient or a patient's husband or relatives or or you know whomever uh that would you know talk to you in that manner i mean what what would you do i mean you just can't run away and you right. can't fill out a complaint form so it they're different yep they're different and so you you just sort of wade you wade through that now, with, with that being said, you know, it's hard to crawl into a medical student's mind and say, you know, do they have that sense that they really aren't afforded a lot of mistakes? I mean, you know, there's some, we all make them, but some you can't make. And, and do you realize you're going into a field where there's some avenue, you just can't make a mistake. Right. And if you do, you're going to hear about it, either through the hospital you work for, the health system, a malpractice attorney, a family, or a peer. Um, and how, how, how are you going to do it? Are you going to shrink? Or are you going to f- yeah. I keep wondering that in life because, I mean, through the years, I've had several operations on all kinds of things. And I think, you know what? Doctors are human. They, they can't be perfect every time they do something. They can't be. But you sure expect them to be. And one time I remember I, w- I was confused with my own attitude because I thought, well, I hope he's perfect with me and he's not perfect with somebody else then. You know, it's like I don't, I don't want him to get And then I thought, well, how self-centered is that in a way? I mean, honestly, you're a human being. But you need to be educated. Yeah. So you need the freedom as a teacher to be able to look at people and say, here's what you need to know. And if you didn't do it right, I need to tell you how to do it. And really, all across our whole culture, that's really difficult to take criticism. Uh, you're also a politician, is that correct? Yeah, I'm an alderman in the city in, of Rockford. In the city of Rockford. <laughs> so you you have all these jobs where people get to look at you and, and wonder what in the world you're actually doing and judge you and, you know, all that kind of thing. Well, the alderman job, that, that usually, that that's where you get the most criticism sometimes. I've been called, um, over this, this past political season, uh, anything from a communist to a fascist, any kind of, you name the ist, I've been called a racist, but I think everybody on the planet's been called a racist. But I, you know, any any number of ists and, uh, or I'm a phobe, some kind of phobe. Yeah. I, I, an ist or a phobe. Yeah. If you have an opinion and, and, you, and you try to adhere to your opinion, it, it seems you're going to offend somebody. And, and right now the, the standard is I... I nobody should offend me. And so when somebody offends me, they're an either an ist or a phobe and, and I get to attack them because I'm offended. So this, this standard of, 
of discourse among people is kind of interesting. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of um, kindness sometimes if, if somebody disagrees with you. It's like you're, you become an idiot and they have to go after you, and somehow you bothered them um, in, in, in any field. But let me ask you this. Why are you a poli- I mean, your life is busy enough. Being a doctor is busy. You teach at the University of Illinois. It, that's busy. And then you decide to be an alderman, too. So, so what motivates you? I, you know, it's, it's one of those things um, where, where you, you, you try to make a difference um, in, in what you do. <clears throat> Interesting, I like history. And one of the uh, historical figures I really have admired over the years, and I actually, I don't go to people's grave sites because I think that's a little bit weird. Yeah. But I did go to this guy's, William Wilberforce. And, okay. And some, people, yeah. some people don't know William Wilberforce, but. I didn't know him personally. I, I, <laughs> Did you? <laughs> uh, I'd like to know him. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe I'll meet him. I'm, I'm pretty confident I'll meet him one day. Okay. But um, yeah, he he had faced an interesting uh, dilemma whether uh, how to serve God, and he at one point he wanted to go into ministry. As you know, I went to Moody and, and right. it was explored. We went to Wheaton together, explored some things of youth ministry or what you know as as you sort of bounce through life and seek God's direction, but. Um, this guy, uh, he managed to bring together, um, he talked to one of his old mentors, whose name is John Newton. Yep. And people may not know who, uh, Newton, John Newton was, but not the guy who invented calculus, but. The guy who invented the cookie. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh. (laughs) No. (laughs) He was the uh, slave trader. Okay. who Who came to Christ and then wrote Amazing Grace. And, uh, John Newton was one of William Wilberforce's mentors. And. Who encouraged him to be involved in his community, to try to make a difference where he could, and I and I think that that's why I do it. I, it's a light. It's it's service. I mean, being an alderman is similar in a way to being a physician. You 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 put the your patients first, which can be frustrating, especially if you have a family, because uh, sometimes your patients have to come first. Right. And then you know you have constituents, and and sometimes they come first. And so when they have a need in a community or, or you know, whatever, uh, you have to address it. And you, you want to improve your community. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of governmental, there, there's, a, there's a clash right now in our culture between the role of government and the role, I believe, of the church. Is we are looking to the government for solutions to cultural dilemma and cultural challenges when we shouldn't. We should be looking to the church and the church leaders. And I think sometimes, I guess I can make up a term, right? This is radio. Sure, make it up. Let's make it up. Ecclesiocentric. We got a lot of churches. <laughs> I don't know how to spell it. Uh, neither do I. We, we can, because we Just made up. Just use doctor handwriting and nobody will know yeah. what you Well, said. we made up the word, so we can, yeah. make, up, we can make up the spelling. It's, right. our, it's our word. Ecclesiocentric. Churches just sort of inwardly focused now more than, than they seem to be. And, and uh, I, I, I don't know. As I look across the landscape, I see the news media. In, in a sort of leadership roles, if you want to call it a leadership role, I see elements of the government as dysfunctional as they may be. But I don't hear the voice of the church or the voice of Christianity or the voice of, uh, of you know, ethical and virtuous people standing up. I am not that person. Uh, I try to be, but there, there are certainly leaders out across the globe. Uh, we lost one in Ravi Zacharias uh, recently, but 
there needs to be the, the prophet of the day. Uh, the prophets of the day need to step up. And, and um, so I long for that. I think people are looking for true leadership. And I don't know, I, I, I don't know that we really see that right now. I, I think we see a lot of people um, trying to play nice in a sandbox and they just aren't doing it right. But um, so I, you know, and it's my small area of, of uh, the political sphere. I, you know, you try to do what you can and you try to exert whatever influence you can in your community to make it better. And I do it through uh, the perspective of a Christ follower uh, as much as I can. Um, interestingly, that, that is, is also fraught with um, uh, peril because, you know, if, once you make a mistake, people say, well, Christianity, it, it's, it's no good because, uh, you know, the Christians behave poorly. And right. so they point to Christianity. It's kind of like asking a guy to draw a 12-inch line and when he messes up and can't draw a 12-inch line, you throw out the ruler. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've, I've never understood that. So we, we throw out Christianity because I can't get it right, but Jesus did. But you're going to judge the, the, you know, this whole concept based upon my poor performance. Right. So, so that's, you know, it, in, and in medical school, it, it's, you know, teaching is the same thing. And every now and then, you know, we'll, I'll get involved with uh, a discussion among students. I have to be careful. Uh, because I do work for a government. I do work for the state of Illinois. Sure. And um, if, uh, if I, you know, they being an employer, they have certain standards of what I, I suppose what I have to be careful to do. If students bring up ethics, uh, ethical discussion or such, I, I'll engage in them. And I actually ask, you know, many students, what gives human life value? And if you want to see people squirm and scratch their head, ask them that. What, I mean, what gives human life value? All right. What does give human life value? Like, I, I, I actually answer it very simply and straightforwardly. Um, God created it and Christ died for it. Absolutely. And, and they're really beyond that, you're left with a bunch of molecules bouncing around. And um, it's, it's the simplicity of, of, the, uh, of what gives uh, human life value, that simple, uh, those two simple phrases. Are, are complex, and but we ignore them, uh, in, in, you know, in our culture. I, we've talked, you and I, about being in a post-truth culture, uh, which I think we're in now, and, and people do not think foundationally anymore. They don't think um, in terms of first cause or, or uh, absolute objective truth. They think more along the lines of opinion, uh, I'm sorry, of belief or emotion or feeling. And if this, it's almost an application of narcissism. If this, this, if this makes me feel good, then it has to be true because, and then I can believe it. I believe it because it, it feels good. And so belief replaces truth. And then people stumble around trying to apply that and, and they, they struggle with it. And so when you do ask them, you know, foundational questions like that, they, you know, we're, we're raising a generation even of students that are uh, adrift when it comes to foundational thinking. And so when they face a challenge, a moral or ethical challenge, they don't know what to do with it. Right. You know, and I, I'm, I'm thinking as you talk, you know, we, we've talked a lot, and I very much respect the idea that God has given you certain gifts and abilities, and I see you using them. And I want to challenge the young people that are listening to us. 
everybody that's listening, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ and, and you are a follower of Jesus and you're, you're a believer, you're part of the body of Christ. You, you have a gift. There's a giftedness that he's given you. You're an elbow. that He tells, says you're part of the body. You're an elbow. You're an arm. And one of the things that, that I understand is that whatever body part I have, it functions right when it has unfettered access to the brain. And the brain just tells it what to do. I don't even think about it half the time. The brain just says, do this, and you follow it. And what's really fun to see is people who finally get a grasp of this is what God has given me to do, and then they look for ways like you have to plug into our culture and say, here's what I can do. I can do this. You know, you can be a doctor, and you're a good doctor, and you've been successful at being a doctor. So you can actually influence those ladies that come into your office. I mean, you can say things. You can be kind. You, you can do what's right. You, you can teach students. They could see somebody who loves God. And then you thought, well, I can also be a politician because I can do that. I, I know how to communicate. And that's one of the gifts I think God's given you. You're, I think you're able to communicate in a way where you say something very significant, but it's really hard. You don't say it in a way where you're saying everyone else is stupid. I mean, you say it in a way that says, here's, here's, what, I, here's what I think is true. One of the things that's grabbing me these days is the way words have been redefined. Um, in order to understand anything, you have to have definitions. I mean, you have to. Uh, I, I asked you what you did for a living. You said doctor. Okay, again, doctor can be a lot of things. I could be a doctor of philosophy. I could be a chiropractic doctor. I could be a doctor of homeopathy. I could be a doctor of, you know, whatever. So then we clarified it. Here's, here's what we mean. Boom, 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 boom. Now, what I'm confused on in today, and I'm wondering if it, there's a lot of this in the medical world. In fact, let me, let me go to some really tough topics right away. Um, people trying to define gender, for example. People trying to define the word love, what that means. People saying uh, you need to be nice to one another. Okay, what does that mean? Is there really a good? I mean, what is good? If someone says everybody's good or what does that mean? And what I see really is a culture right now, even as a teacher, and that's what I do, I have to keep defining words so they know what I'm talking about because I can't say be good. I have to say be right. And then they go, well, who determines right? And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is going in circles here at, at this point. Do you see that in the medical community where they're redefining things or is that just in the non-medical world? Because you guys got to be very specific in what you do. Well, we, you know, we have, yeah, we, we do have, you know, uh, folks with, uh, gender identity problems and, you know, I, they, there has to be, we have to create certain terms in order to be able, in order to discuss it. But I, and I get that medically, but we also, where I see more trouble is when we do it culturally. I'll give you an example of a term that has no meaning. Gun violence. Yeah. Okay. So I, I own firearms. I own firearms because, uh, mostly because I like things that go boom. All right. I, I'm not. Yes, you I know, know you do. Yeah, that's, that's just yes. a boy. You're, you're yeah. still a big boy yeah, in so some I, respects. I like shooting at targets and yeah. things like that. I, you know, I, I, it's just what I do. I like shooting skeet uh, and things. But gun violence, the last time I checked, none of my firearms jumped. I, I don't have to worry about them jumping out of my closet. And running down the street and committing violence. Right. So we use this term gun violence. And I, I believe it's deliberate. And I believe it's because 
people use that term because they don't want to think or approach the situation foundationally. It's not gun violence. It's people violence. It's people who are violent, people who have, are making poor decisions because they have no core. They, they, either they're sociopathic or they, they harbor anger um, or you know, they themselves were mistreated as they were growing up and they, they had no moral direction. And so they have determined that the use of a firearm you know, in a hateful act um, is the way to go. But when you when you confront the issue, you, you don't confront the, the gun. You confront the individual. And so what happens is people in culture cannot face the idea that uh, of the depravity of man. And as a, as a fun, fundamental thought that men left to themselves tend to be depraved without a savior. And so and. People don't want to confront that. And so I believe the term becomes deliberate and they create something different. And, it, and while it, I, I get what, in a, in a sense, what some people mean by it, but others, I really, really believe that they're being um, a little bit deceitful and, and they're, they, you know, we'll get the guns, but they don't find the root cause. And when you see the, for instance, the disintegration of the American family, especially Every statistic, and we talk, and people talk about this all the time, and it's always ignored. The 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 um, epidemic of fatherless homes across the United States, uh, resulting in anger and crime and uh, kids running adrift. It it that's foundational thinking, and that's root cause analysis, and we refuse to do that. Instead, we turn to a government to to create programs or grants. And so we're asking the government to do something, number one, that only God can do. Only God can fix uh, a lost soul. And then God using the tool of the family in the church. And we've managed to destroy the family. We don't even, we can't even define family anymore. Uh, and the church has lost its significance both by the government pushing it out and, and in a lot of ways churches allowing government to, to sideline them. Um, and if there's ever a time now where a, a culture needs to think foundationally and think spiritually, it's now. Right. We have a nation that's being torn apart because there is, there's no core. And as long as uh, people are uh, running around confusing the issues, it, it will be that way until people are unconfused. Yeah, you know, as I look at people and they define things, I, one of the words I, I really don't care for people to use is the word good. As, as I go out, you know, I mean, if you went to somebody and you said, well, you did a good job, I have no idea what you mean. I have no idea because I don't know what you're comparing that to. And good is one of those weird words. It just needs a comparison to understand what you're talking about. You know, I, I, are you a, some might say, are you a good doctor? It's like, I don't know, compare, compared to what? You know, am I a good person? Are you compare me to Mother Teresa or you compare me to, you know, Genghis Khan? I, it, I don't know. I don't know how to answer the word good. I do know right and wrong. And in a culture where we've lost right and wrong, we've lost that. All you've got left is good and bad, and that doesn't mean anything. 
So, yeah. so people don't know what they're talking about, like most of the time. So if you're telling me this, this lady's good, I'm going, okay, fine. I still don't know what you meant. Uh, this guy's good. Okay, I still don't know what you meant. Now, if you say this person did what was right, I have something to go by because there must be a criterion to judge it by. You know, so it's like, okay, what's the criterion in that what you just said? Uh, in fact, Tim, I, I'll go a step further. When I talk to college kids and they say God is good, I say, no, he's not. And they look mm -hmm. at me like, what did you just say? I said, well, he's right. Therefore, he is good. I mean, I just want you to get in the right order. Because he's right, he's good. Now, and I would throw that in the medical world probably and say, okay, somebody you taught, they did the operation right. They, they did everything right. So at the end you could go, good job. That actually means something because you're saying what I compared you to was not a, a, a variable scale. What I compared you to was did you do it right? And if you did it right, I can use the word good if you didn't do it right. Well, okay, then I can't use that word necessarily. And I think we've diluted some meanings at times because I don't think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, half the time I don't know what people are talking about when they use vocabulary anymore. Well, I, don't, I don't know. Well, the, uh, I, I read somewhere where um, the Ravi Zacharias, I think he was at um, Harvard, and he tells a story. I, I guess it's a quote. Uh, and I'll I'll botch it a little bit here, but the, it it goes uh, you know this student uh, in a Q and A asked you know basically said I I can't believe uh, in God be because they're bad things yeah and and Ravi Zacharias you know basically said well if you believe in there's there's bad then you have to believe in there's good so if there's a good and bad there has to be a moral standard. So if you have a moral standard, there has to be a moral, moral arbitrator uh, who, who crafted and, and is the architect of absolute objective truth by which you can base a moral standard where, that is reliable, that is universal, that can be applied across culture uh, and, and time. So, but you've already said that you don't believe in God. So... What's your question? Yeah. That, that. And, and so leaving it. And so I, I agree. I think people say things. People say things because they're conditioned to say them. And I, again, I think this goes back to, you know, foundational thinking. I have no idea what Aristotle or Plato or any of these guys, their religious beliefs are. I mean, I haven't talked with them in a couple of weeks, but I, <laughs> But I, I don't know. But the one thing I do know about these men is th th what they sought was truth, objective, absolute truth. They were foundational thinkers. And again, when we we talk past each other now, I agree with you. We we, we talk past because we don't define anything. Yeah. And so I I I agree. So yeah, half the time I don't know what somebody just said. I I mean they they say things, and because I'm a teacher. I am trying to steer them somewhere, but I don't know what they said. So half the time I'm backing that bus up. That's why I love teaching um, third, fourth, fifth graders because I can start at the beginning and I love starting at the beginning going, look, there is a God, you're not him. And they all go, huh? Yeah, there is a God, you're not him. Let's start at the basics here. And uh, Tim, we've had uh, the time fly. We're gonna be out of time here for in, in a moment. And 
Uh, I'm going to ask you to come back. We're going to do another one. I want to talk some more medical stuff and some things that maybe God has on your heart. Give a message to the young people that are listening to us. Uh, I do really appreciate your heart for God, your desire to be a part of a community and make a difference. I'm hoping we can excite some other young people down the road to do the same and to integrate in our culture and not run away from it. This is Dave Wager. Be back in a moment.